Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of One Vision. Today, we have the honor to have Victoria joining us. She's the co-founder and managing director of Village Capital. Thank you so much, Victoria. Thank you. Um, so, for those of us, um, our listeners who might not be completely familiar with Village Capital, can you walk us through a little bit about um, what your primary objectives are and tell us about how it started and and your vision of of what you would like for it to become? Um, it's been quite a few years now, and uh, we'd love to hear the story. Yeah, absolutely. We just uh, celebrated our 10th year, so we have been at it a while now uh, and really started with the premise of wanting to democratize entrepreneurship. So I think it's a well acknowledged fact now that the uh, opportunity to start business and bring an innovation to market uh, doesn't happen equitably across our economy here in the US or globally. and. That was one of the many pieces that we wanted to address when we first got started. Um, my co-founder, Ross Baird, and a group of others out of um, a family office called First Light Ventures, founded by Bob Patillo, really started with the premise of, could you use some of the social capital and community elements that allowed microfinance to scale and think about replicating some of those fundamental aspects in early stage entrepreneurship and early stage investing. And while uh, you you know can't clearly replicate the social capital of living in a community together, which was one of the key elements that allowed primarily groups of women to serve as credit checks for one another in the village banking model that allowed microfinance to scale so quickly, founders do have some of the same elements of being able to leverage their awareness of what it takes to start and grow a business, how you sort of evaluate entrepreneurial acumen and the personal grit that a founder must have. And then certainly as they understand a sector and a supply chain and a customer base, they're able to evaluate each other's ability to really thrive and grow uh, in building a company. So our process at Village Capital puts a lot of the power in the hands of founders themselves to do a lot of that evaluation that an investor would when look, looking at an early stage company and think what has the, the sort of highest chances of succeeding in the market and what do they think is most investable. In the course of giving founders a voice to do that evaluation in our cohorts, we've also found that it really changes the outcomes in how capital is allocated. So our portfolio is over 40% allocated to female-led companies, over 30% allocated to companies led by founders of color. And those are in comparison to statistics that are, you know, five or 15% going to female founders at large in the market and more like less than 2% going to founders of color. So um, in seeking a more equitable and efficient way of deploying capital, we've also found that we're changing a lot of the dynamics around the relationship between investors and founders. we get more venture companies to think that way to think about you know the importance of both diversity and inclusive practices and the way that we build business models and the way that you know we're, we're funding these companies i mean how many companies do we need um that are focused on you know building another social network or making our photos prettier um can't we also change the world we certainly think so and exclusively 
at Village Capital, we have focused on sectors that we think not only are huge market opportunities, we're talking about, you know, trillion dollar cumulative industries, but that also really matter to people's daily lives and that are huge levers for either fixing some of the inequality and environmental degradation we've experienced or exacerbating it. Um, we think, you know, all investments have impact. People can talk for a long time about how explicitly they want to acknowledge whether that's a positive or, or negative thing. But I think directly to your question, there is so much data out there now that your economic performance suffers if you don't have diversity on your team. And so it is only uh, reasonable that we would want to be backing with you know the earliest stage capital we have out there, diverse teams from the start. And I think there are segments of the market and investment community that are becoming more aware of that and trying to incorporate it in small ways, but we are, as a field, moving much, much too slowly. And uh, I, I think you've got to just keep feeding that message uh, into all of the work that we're doing and continuing to demonstrate success and eventually rest of the market will follow. I echo that sentiment because um, I think it's almost like year after year, right? We keep seeing um, reports from, it's not just financial services, it's everywhere. And it keeps saying, you know, oh yes, we are aware we need to do better, but right? I think recently in Las Vegas, correctly, um, a few banks have published the gender um, pay gap report. And it feels like we haven't even moved an inch despite the fact that there is awareness, right? So it almost feels like, are we suffering? And I don't think we are suffering from awareness or lack thereof, or is it the urgency or is it just, this is hard. It feels like it's moving up a rock. Yeah, I think it's certainly, you know, a lot of the conversations get caught on the urgency piece or how this is prioritized. You know, a lot of people point out the fact that Innovative companies, particularly tech companies, have a ton of resources to move in whatever direction they want to move in. So if it were really a priority to change their hiring practices or change who's represented on their board or, uh, you know, change the types of communities they hear from or include when they're thinking about product development, they could do it. I, I have no doubt that they could do it. So it, it does seem to be more of a matter of will and where where resources are allocated among competing priorities. I think there's been, you know, a lot of work to dispel the notion that this is any type of pipeline issue. Um, there are plenty of female founders and founders of color out there that are bringing great ideas to market and innovation. And it is uh, not a matter of, um, it's, it's not an issue of we don't have them, we need to go find them more efficiently and um, prioritize inclusive investing so that we get the best outcomes. Because right now, you know, if, if not everybody is at the table, I don't think we're going to get the best results. Um, when you think about the types of um, companies that you're looking for and the type of ideas that you're trying to fund, how are the other parts of your ecosystem, the, the type of partners that you have and the type of companies in your portfolio, how do you help them work together? And, you know, what are some of those entities that, that you really reach out to? Our system at Village Capital has 
has always been a very collaborative one. I mean, it's inherent in the name. We don't think that founders can go out there and do everything all by themselves. They are part of a, you know, an interactive environment that is trying to serve their customers, but also work with others in their supply chain. And eventually, you know, to reach greater scale, we'll need to partner with larger companies. So over the last 10 years, we've worked with over 120 large partners in delivering our programs. Those are everybody from, you know, industry leading corporations to um, blue chip foundations to international development groups, many other co-investors. And the things that we look for when working with partners are really an alignment in the types of values that we think are forefront in our model. So clearly equity is a big piece of that, solving problems that we think are really critical to addressing economic inequality and environmental health. Um, and then a real solutions orientation. You know, we, we are bringing an innovative process around how we think we should be backing early stage companies. And that involves a lot of experimentation and some models that haven't always been um, readily accepted by, you know, traditional organizations or foundations. So people who are sort of open to that mindset. Um, some of those, those partners to date have been organizations like PayPal and Microsoft and Autodesk Foundation, MetLife, Rockefeller Foundation, MacArthur Foundation. Um, we have a, a long list of people that have focused either in specific sectors with us over time or across the work that we've done because they really believe in the power of uh, inclusion of founders and bringing a new process that we think will yield better and different results. talking about some of the things that you just mentioned, you know, the challenges we have in the society, right? Equity, um, economic inequality. Um, we talk a little bit about gender. Another trend that, you know, I think it's, it's pretty obvious, um, you know, if, if we do go out and I think with the recent um, healthcare concerns, um, it shines a light on it, which is the graying civilization, right? The fact that our society is getting older, um, but it almost feels like we are ill-prepared as a world to tackle that, to tackle the fact that, you know, people are living longer. Um, how are we going to be able to provide people with a more fulfilled life? The fact that we have older citizens, what do we think about housing? What do we think about um, longevity? What do we think about taking care of their health? Um, so uh, curious, you know, are there any things um, in your cohort or, you know, in, in the philosophy and the work that you guys are doing that you think might be able to help us tackle that challenge? It's an area where we, we have dedicated more of our attention over time and, in fact, have just recently started some new work with the SCAN Foundation that goes beyond just looking at the health and wellness aspects of aging, but also speaks to some of the things that you mentioned about vitality and uh, quality of life and seeking opportunity over, you know, many more decades than previous generations might have thought in a traditional timeline of sort of you go through a period of education and then you go through a period of work and then you go into a period of retirement and you sort of have these three discrete chapters of life. We're seeing a lot of those concepts 
upended now, you know, thinking about longer lifespans, how to prepare financially for that, but then also the opportunity that comes in it of many different cycles of continuous learning and education, how to uh, sort of flip the box on some of that and think about a sort of wisdom economy that generates from people living much longer and having these additional chapters where they can be contributing um, to their communities, even if they're not thinking about work per se in the same traditional ways. So I think there's a there's an element of the demographic trend that I think can be frightening to people when we look at how financially under underprepared individuals are given the savings rates in the US and globally, but also how ill-equipped our social safety net is to deal with it. And I think there we can get into a lot of conversations around, you know, financial health and the the interaction between early stage companies and innovation with the policy realm, because it's going to take a lot of different approaches to find solutions there. But I think in the the reframing of how this is an opportunity, there's um, a lot of also exciting uh, innovations that we're seeing rethink the community aspects and how, um, you know, there's a company called Revel that is um, connecting women over 50 into offline, in real life uh, networking opportunities where they're able to share skills they have, um, engage in uh, activities that they're mutually interested in that combat some of the, um, you know, nobody wants to throw around the word epidemic right now, especially, but loneliness is a huge issue for a lot of communities that are aging and, and sort of feel displaced in those three discrete chapter phases of life that are now getting extension, meaning that, you know, you might not have been prepared to be retired for as long as you, um, as long as you currently are now and need a feeling of connectedness um, that you used to get from working and now sort of are feeling um, a little bit disconnected about where to get that. We're, we're seeing more um, innovation around what to do in those decades of life where you're still healthy enough, um, want to continue using your skills, want to continue feeling connected to people around you, uh, and have a lot to contribute to people who are, you know, both peers and younger than you. Um, I think you're seeing that with models like Papa and Monami and and others that think about how to do matchmaking between older populations and younger populations that can be really um, a two-way benefit. Um, and then, you know, in, within our programs themselves, we're thinking about financial health tools that help um populations both pre and during retirement age think about um better preparing and sort of practicing good financial wellness we're think we're looking at care-based solutions to not only care for aging populations and think about how they transition through different phases of life and um adapt their environments to aging in place but also how we care for caregivers themselves um to prevent burnout and identity displacement that can be one of the factors that prohibits their loved ones from being able to age in place, which we know generally leads to better outcomes and certainly is less expensive for individuals and the system overall.
we would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. Uh, interesting when we think about, you know, like today, the World Health Organization has called, you know, the current coronavirus um, a pandemic. And, you know, it's, I've, I've seen a couple articles the last couple of days about um, nursing homes closing down to visitors. And, you know, you think of this as a short term thing, but to your point, you know, we work maybe 30 to 40 years of our life. And then, you know, we used to retire for five or 10 years and now it's pretty much our life. And now we've got 10, 20, 30 plus years sometimes that are in sort of these semi stages of retirement. So um, I think, you know, addressing those type of needs are only going to be growing. And so it's good that you're looking at those type of things. Do you look at specific geographies beyond demographics in terms of the way that you approach and embrace um, the investment of startups? And what are you learning sort of cross geography about some of those uh, companies that you invest in? been a very global organization even from our our earliest start so we have offices here in the US but also in India in Latin America focused in Mexico and then in East Africa focused in Kenya um, although we've done work in West Africa and if we look globally at sort of all of our partnerships everywhere I think by now we've probably been in more than 25 countries um, when you think about where we focus, the, the only criteria really for us is that we're trying to make sure that our work is highly impactful and that we are working with companies and partners where we think we'll be able to uh, drive and achieve more value. And so those tend to be in undercapitalized places. So in the US, for instance, um, you know, 75% of capital goes to just three markets the Bay Area, Massachusetts, and New York, and 80% of our investment activity has been outside of those markets. So we tend to not focus in places that, that are already um, very well connected in terms of networks. I think one of the things that's enabled us to contribute to our portfolio in terms of investments, but also the partnerships that we work in is a really global lens about what innovation looks like one place that might be also effective in another place. Um, and it's certainly led for a lot of collaboration across our portfolio companies becoming each other's customers or helping you know, greatly accelerate a go-to-market strategy in a new region because they're connected to each other. Um, a few years ago, we made the deliberate choice that the, the model for Village Capital was not to ourselves run programs in you know, 200 plus countries around the world, but instead to work to disseminate the you know, findings and methodology that we've developed over 10 years and try to enable local ecosystem actors to better support entrepreneurs where they were. So we started a um, part of our work called VILCAP Communities, and we've now worked with over 30 um, third parties that are taking some of the same curriculum and methodology and process that we've established and using it locally. Um, and those are you know, groups of all types, angel groups, um, entrepreneur support organizations, and others that want to support early stage companies that have impact. 
I, I I love that. I think that's um, the ability to to do cross learning and allow others to gain from it. Um, I think that that is very very valuable. Um, and earlier you mentioned um, you talked about financial inclusion. You talked about financial health. What are some of the interesting um, examples, if you can share with us, startups um, that that have engaged in those areas? I know there are many to choose from. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I think we think about financial health um, in a bunch of different ways. So I'll try to to capture some of those. I think in the kind of immediate resilience to financial shocks, um, you know, we see uh, health and medical needs be one of the things that can set a family completely off course and and become, you know, enter into a much more financially in, unstable position. Um, and one of our companies that is addressing that need is a group called Fig Loans that works with um, nonprofit and community partners to provide alternatives to payday loans. So these are, you know, generally a few hundred dollars, 300 to $800 sort of um, amounts that are 70 to 80% cheaper than if you had to go to a payday lender. Um, and their, their entire premise is built on not getting you trapped in a cycle of debt that, you know, a one-time shock and spiral you into. So focusing on financial resilience, um, getting you on a track to report to credit bureaus to build positive credit. Um, and they measure their success based on the amount of savings to those borrowers, the, the number of people they get into um, a situation where they can continue to build their credit, et cetera. Um, when we think about the sort of things that financial health and access allow you to achieve uh, education is clearly one of those, and in two different realms, we focus on this. So one of our companies is called Empower, and they exclusively focus on lending to thin file borrowers. So the vast majority of their um, customer base are DACA students or um, international students that want to come to the U.S. and would have no other option to access student financing except to self-fund or to get very expensive loans in their home country um, and empower is able to use alternative underwriting criteria about the things that the students are studying and their future career path to really see their uh, credit worthiness as a measure of their potential rather than their their past um, another one of our companies that sort of focuses on the lending element of the equation um, is trying to address for financial institutions and employers, what student debt burdens are preventing them from being able to do in the rest of their financial life. So, you know, companies have noticed a huge drop in 401k contributions that they might have a set aside pool um, to match. And one of the reasons that they're not seeing people actually contribute to their 401ks is because any excess um, income they have is going to pay down their student loans. So they're able to actually use some of the matching dollars that they otherwise would use use towards savings um, as a credit to their employees paying down that student debt um, for some of the financial institutions that are customers of this company, which is called Vault. Um, they see it as a huge tool to offer to their um, broader uh, customers because 
if people can get student debt under control, then they're likely to be able to use some of the other financial products that um, they offer for, you know, financial institutions like Prudential and Don Hancock and New York Life. Um, we've worked in uh, trying to increase the, the customer base that um, banks and others feel are worthy of going after as, um, you know, providing on-ramps to investing in savings that previously might have been thought of as populations that were um, un or underbanked or untargeted as um, meaningful portions of a potential target market. Um, so outside of the US, um, in Chile, we've backed a company called Finchwall that allows people to get started with investing. In Nigeria, we've backed a company called Piggyvest that allows people to um, you know, make small commitments to savings and investment and through some tools that Piggyvest platform has, uh, they're more incented to keep their savings locked up over time so they can see the benefits of developing some of those financial health habits. Um, when we think about you know, consumer-facing financial products here in the US, um, warranties and more transparent warranties are an area that we have looked at and invested in a company called Upsy. So if you think about, you know, lower wealth populations, what a an impact financial shocks or even things like breaking your phone or, you know, losing your computer, damaging um, other electronic devices you might have, those types of shocks clearly hit different populations very differently, making things like warranties um, and especially transparent and affordable warranties more valuable product uh, if you can't afford to go out and buy another phone right away and that's your lifeline for doing gig economy jobs or you know, um, staying in touch with your friends and family and, and connected the same way all of us are connected. Um, so lots of lots more examples that I could run through, but that covers a few of the different areas we look at when we think about financial health and the role that technology and innovation can play in it. I think when you kind of go through those examples, it reminds us that what once was considered um, part of the marginalized uh, portions of society economically are becoming more mainstream. And so if you have this you know, sort of global purview on financial needs uh, and you see them growing because of, you know, in, in the US, for example, the rapid rise of people that are working in sort of more temporary jobs um, or the amount of credit that is being accessed today um, at point of sale or for consolidation or for student loans, you, you just get the sense that you're tapping into something that has been in need long-term in other markets, but sort of this marginalization of people's economic um, capabilities needs to really be looked at by the industry. So do you think that you've been not just looking um, outside of the US for these type of really impactful startups to invest in, but that that narrative is really starting to come home um, to what we're doing here in the US? I do. I think, you know, part of it is driven by companies looking for further opportunities for growth and finally realizing that these customer bases have been credit worthy and have been, you know, able to service the same types of financial products that much higher wealth populations have gotten and frankly have gotten for much cheaper and with many more benefits than 
a lot of lower wealth populations, it's quite expensive to be poor if we look at the costs surrounded a lot of the financial products like check cashing services or payday loans that um, you know are extremely onerous um, if those are your best options. So I, I think there's a, a clear kind of rational market response that these are growth opportunities for population segments that have been far too underserved for far too long. Um, and I think there's a general change in awareness levels about equity and social responsibility and business. And there's you know, much more scrutiny of large corporations around what their overall stewardship um, and general role in their community looks like. And that is forcing um, a lot of companies to take much more seriously the interconnectedness um, of a bunch of different segments of stakeholders. And some of those are you know, the populations that they may have been neglecting to serve. Has your model changed in the last 10 years? Um, and, and looking forward, what would it look like? We're asking for a crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> the model has, has changed in, in the sense that, you know, I think we're never satisfied of over exactly what we're doing and, and continue to think about ourselves as a startup in many ways. So we continue to iterate on the types of problems that we seek to solve in each of the sectors and industries where we work, taking in input from a wide variety of uh, stakeholders ourselves, and you know try to try to create very diverse advisory boards um, made up of startups and people who have a policy and regulatory lens, and investors and larger stage companies. Um, so that we make sure that we're continuing to solve the problems that really matter. And when we think about the system that we deliver ourselves, there have been several aspects that have changed. So we've continued to iterate on the peer ranking methodology that we use and how we think about sourcing new companies to work with, et cetera. But I think that the fundamental tenets that we are trying to change a system and how capital flows through it are, is the real core that you know has never changed. Um, we used to talk about democratizing entrepreneurship being our our tagline, and now talk about um, how we're reinventing the system to back the entrepreneurs of the future. And for us, that's a future where business really creates equity and long-term prosperity. And I think as we look forward, we see lots of different ways to do it, and we know that it will take many many people across. The hundreds of ecosystems we're in, that's not a charge that Vilcap is taking up on its own. And that's why we think about, you know, things like Vilcap communities, trying to share what we've learned across, um, you know, a hundred times of doing this program with other groups that want to do similar activities. Um, we've created a technology that takes one of the frameworks um, looking at co company milestones that we use within our programs and tried to map that to any investor or entrepreneur that can go through a system that is online called Abaca and rank where their company is. And on the investor side, they can rank the types of things they're interested in investing in so we could more efficiently match make between founder and funder. 
Um, so we're really shifting towards thinking about tools like that, that in addition to us doing our core work of continuing to find entrepreneurs, run programs that we think will help build their businesses um, more quickly and more effectively, invest in them. We're not just relying on doing that direct work ourselves and are really working through um, many different partners and hope to share a lot of what we've learned over the last 10 years. People can go do it themselves as well. I'm excited for um, what will be in store for you guys. I, I, we've always been, we've both always been big fans of, of Village Cap. Um, I, I think we definitely need more effort like that and more focused on, on the entrepreneurs that have great ideas, um, but need a little bit of uplifting um, to get to where they need to be. So kudos um, to you and your team. And thank you so much for joining us today, Victoria. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And we are mutual fans as well. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs>